Teaching is Political is a podcast hosted by two women of color with a wide range of independent school teaching experience. Hi, I am Chantel Hannaford. I am 27 years old. I was born in Kingston, Jamaica, and I migrated to a very small island in Cape Cod, Massachusetts named Nantucket. Uh, when I was seven years old. I identify as African-American some days, sometimes Afro-Caribbean, um, but for now, I am Afro-Caribbean. Hi, my name is Kiani Douglas. I am 30 years old. I am African-American because I was born here, right? But um, my family is from the Caribbean, from St. Kitts and a couple of other countries. Um, so I share similar sentiments with Chantel, Afro-Caribbean, African-American on some days, depending on who I'm around for the most part. So the purpose of this podcast is to give a voice to educators in the independent school sector that typically feel that they are underrepresented. Social media today puts a lot of emphasis on teacher, teacher influencers from charter and public schools, and we created this space to develop a community for independent school educators. Between the two of us, we worked at six schools in a combined 11 years of teaching. That includes one charter school, two tuition-free private schools, and three boarding schools. Welcome to another episode of Teaching is Political with your hosts, Chantel Hannaford and Kiani Douglas. Today, we're going to go over our teaching journeys, our paths to becoming independent school teachers, which includes sharing recommendations on how to become a teacher or admin in independent schools, and finally, the value of people of color in independent schools and how we are viewed overall. Welcome to another episode of Teaching is Political with your hosts, Chantel Hannaford and Kiani Douglas. Today, we're going to be talking about a couple of things, which include our teaching journey, being a marginalized identity in an independent school, and the culture of being all in as faculty in independent schools. This is Chantel giving a brief overview of my teaching career. So I graduated college in 2014 with a bachelor's of science in psychology and education from Trinity College in Hartford. While I was at Trinity, I took, I was confused on what I wanted to major in and I took a lot of different classes in economics, sociology, and then finally one of my basketball teammates told me to try an education course. So I did. And the first class that I took, I was blown away at the consistent lack of funding in public schools, which contributed to the achievement gap. It was really fascinating because I grew up, as I mentioned earlier, um, on a very small island in Nantucket. And Nantucket, if you know anything about it, is a very privileged community. And so as a child, I was not exposed to the traditional public school system of um, lack of funding um, and I was just completely amazed. And so this 
sparked an internal desire to learn more about the education system in America and ultimately pursue a career in teaching. And so after I graduated, I applied to a bunch of different jobs and said I wanted to get out of Hartford and ended up still um, staying in the greater Hartford region. So the first school I worked at was a tuition-free school and I taught fifth and sixth grade history. I coached soccer, basketball, and softball. Um, I was the assistant office manager. And in my second year, I was at that school for three years. And in my second year, I became the athletic director. And that was a huge opportunity for growth for me. And at this school there, it's a very small school. It's all girls. And um, it promotes a culture of growth and opportunities. And so I was very blessed to start my career there. And it exposed me to a lot of different things. So I was there for three years. I felt like I reached a plateau and it was time for me to move on. So I applied to just one job after that and landed at a charter school in the New England region. And um, the main thing that attracted me to that school was their mission on closing the achievement gap. Achievement gap. So if you go back to my brief introduction on being at Trinity, that was a huge draw to me, right? And so being um, at the school, I felt like this was like the true next step for me. And it was also, it seemed at the time, a much lighter load. So I wouldn't be coaching. I wouldn't be doing like all the extra stuff that I did at my previous job. And so I felt like I would have more time for self-care. And... um once I got into the job, I realized that I wasn't just teaching eighth grade history, that it was more <laughs> mentally exhausting than my previous school. So I only lasted a year there. And um, I learned a lot, intangible skills that I still use in my personal life and in my professional life. And I'm very grateful for it. I think God sets you up to learn from every experience. And I definitely learned and I don't take it for granted. So now I'm currently at a boarding school in the Northwest region of Connecticut. I am a ninth grade history teacher there and the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I've been there for, this is my second year. And so last year I was just an eighth and ninth grade teacher and the position of director of diversity, director of diversity, equity, and inclusion is a new position that I acquired this year. And I'm the school's first DEI director. Um, and I am very grateful for that position and I also um, coach basketball and softball and so that is my journey. Hello this is Kiani giving a brief overview of my teaching career. Um, it started when I was four years old. Um, <clears throat> I had a lot of teddy bears at this time and I was the only child and I would legit line up all my teddy bears <laughs> give them work you're laughing but this is so serious i really? would give them work i would have parent teacher conferences wow. i would correct their work um and this is all while i was a child um <laughs> didn't even have the slightest clue how to even go to um school for it to be an to be a teacher but did it anyway Fast forward to 2011, I graduated from the University of Hartford, which is in Connecticut with my bachelor's in fine arts. 
Um, in 2015, I joined AmeriCorps where I met Chantel in her second year of teaching, and that was my first year. And this was, to give you a little context, after me quitting my job as a supervisor at Whole Foods. Um, <clears throat> so I was kind of a novice teacher, right? Um, so while at this tuition-free private school um, for all girls, I taught eighth grade math, seventh grade science, fifth, sixth, and seventh grade art. I coached stepped after school. I was an eighth grade advisory. Um, Chantel is whispering in my ear that oh. I was her, um, or Not she true. was my mentor, which low-key yep. she was, even yes, though I'm I older. Um, okay, it's all right. <laughs> so unfortunately, this school couldn't hold me in the capacity, um, the same capacity for the following year. And so um, while I was obtaining my master's in fine arts, so I decided to actually, um, with the support of the school, teach at their sister school, which is a co-ed school, grades second, third, and fourth. And so, fortunately for me, I got to do my first year of math school as a freelance teacher for the independent school sector. So that gave me like a different perspective on things. And so, um, <clears throat> the schools were only 10 minutes apart. Um, this was second through fourth grade. Um, I taught art and I choreographed and decorated the set with students for the Jungle Book. After teaching at that school and doing the choreographing and the decoration for the Jungle Book, um, <clears throat> I actually got a really, really good opportunity to um, teach at a boarding school. The person that introduced me to this was actually the art teacher there. Um, and we went to the University of Hartford together and apparently had a really good rapport because she um, suggested that I take over her job. Um, and so while there, I taught art appreciation, drawing, advanced art. I coached JV basketball and cross country, and I was legit a bona fide bus driver. <laughs> like, I really was. It was, it was, yeah, long nights while in grad school. And so um, after graduating grad school, I got an amazing opportunity to teach at the current school that I teach in. So that last boarding school was in the eastern, eastern southern part of Connecticut. And then I moved to where I am currently to the western, the, yeah, the western part of Massachusetts. So two schools are about an hour and a half away. Um, and now I'm here um, in my second year where I teach ceramics. Mm -hmm. Right? <laughs> I teach a couple of different ceramic classes and studio art class, um, which is like an intro to art. In this next segment, we discuss our path to becoming independent school teachers and also provide recommendations on how you can become an independent school teacher or administrator. Oh, so tell me how, Chantel, you got into um, teaching in the independent school sector. Yeah, so it was a bit tricky. Honestly, um, I, as a senior uh, at Trinity, I knew I did not want to go into the public school system because I had learned about it for the last two or three years, and I knew that teachers were overworked, underpaid, um, you're dealing with a, a community or school system a lot of the times that doesn't value and appreciate what you're doing. And so there's a lot of factors that pushed me into the private school sector. And I also knew if I wanted to be in education, I needed to have some 
teaching experience. And if I didn't like teaching with a private school, well, at least like I can go into it without having a teaching certificate. And so I'd rather start and not have to go mm. through all that work, you know, <laughs> yeah. to get the teaching certificate and then not like it. And then I would have to dedicate more time to figuring out what my next step was. So that's how I initially got involved in the private school world and then how I continued to pursue other private school opportunities um, came through word of mouth. So a lot of conversations with friends. And so like my current school that I'm at now, I heard um, through a friend who um, created a profile on Carney Sando, mm-hmm. which is a huge search for him. <laughs> yeah, that you can use. And I implore all of you, if you're interested in becoming uh, educator in the private school world that Carney Sando is a great search firm. There are also other ones. I endorse maybe... this message because yeah. that's how I found my current job is from Carney and Sando. Mm-hmm. I said it right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then there were some other ones that you know. Okay. Um, That's really, I've heard of other ones, but I've only ever used Carney and Sando and um, Connecticut or CAIS.org. They have all the listing of um, independent schools. Yeah, I think you told me about yeah. that one. All the yeah. listings of independent schools in Connecticut are there, and then so you can click on the school's link, and it brings you right into their employment play page, so mm-hmm. you can see what jobs. Yeah. And I think it's the same for every state. Like, mm-hmm. there's probably a MAIS, a Mass um, Association of Independent Schools, where yeah. you can do the same thing. But the information's out there, right? Yeah. Because pre- they also have NAIS, which is the National, yeah, National Association yeah. of Independent Schools. So if you really want to get, a, depending on where you live, if you want to figure out what schools are even in your area as far as independent schools, um, yeah, that's a really good um, resource, NIAS.org, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, for me, starting out in teaching, how I found out about it is my mother actually told me about CAIS.org. Mm. Um, she knew within me that I always wanted to be a teacher, but I never ever took, I went to public school, right? And I went to East Hartford High, Mm -hmm. right? So like, I didn't really, I went to a pretty good public school, but it was, there was a lot of us, right? And there was not enough teachers. So going into that narrative of overwork. Mm -hmm. So at that time I saw that, "Mm, I don't know if I really want to work in, I don't, I don't know if I really want to be a teacher because that was the only idea of a teacher I had Mm -hmm. as opposed to, yeah, my little brother went to a Catholic school, but I never, I didn't go. So I didn't really have that experience. And so when it came time for me to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, right? Um, I went on their website and I started seeing all these schools. And so how I found out about the first school that we started working at together wasn't through AmeriCorps. It was through actually um, the CIAS website saying they were looking for a teacher. And then that's how I went into there. But I knew personally I never wanted to work in independent, I mean, not independent, I didn't want to work in private schools um, because, especially as an artist and an educator, like, as arts, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're lucky if you have an art program. So, for me, that wasn't real great job security. And independent school is a nice sector, especially being an artist, because you essentially can be a practicing artist Mm -hmm. and be a teacher at the same time because you have the space. It's a really good deal for an artist, but like you really have to be intentional with your free time because you can get sucked into the culture of Mm -hmm. being all in and you won't have time to do that for yourself. And so that's something that I kind of straddle. But for me, I always knew that you never needed a degree for independent school sector. And that's something 
made gave me a little bit of pride in my job too because yeah. um, I was always worried about going to school for education, me not getting a full breadth of knowledge in my subject. Yeah. And so if you're someone who's really interested in getting a full breadth of knowledge in your particular subject, whether it be history or art, that's where independent schools, they want and they love that. They yeah. love educators that are really, really focused in their subject because <laughs> they in turn will show you and kind of give you those um, skills you need to become a better yeah. teacher. Yeah, and I would say with the component of not needing a teaching certificate, it doesn't mean that you're not qualified for your position, right? Because I think there's some discussions out there that because um, a lot of educators in independent schools don't have, mm-hmm. like, let's say, like the credentials that public school teachers uh, M- have. MED. Yeah. Like, or, but, yeah. Yeah, that you're not qualified for your position. And so... I feel the system that is set up in independent schools that I appreciate um, is that it allows people who may not be sure about what they want to do at the start of their career, figure it out. And once you figure it out, well, then there are opportunities for you to grow and continue your education to then get that degree. And so while you can go to school and sit in classrooms and be educated about how to be a teacher, sometimes the best way to learn is also being in the classroom and learning through experience. And what I've noticed through like job searching, right, through the end and just navigating that world, there's a lot of, especially now that we're in board schools Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of boarding schools and um, private schools that don't have boarding students that actually will um, partner up with institutions universities and give um, kind of like a teaching certificate through them and they'll pay for your school they'll give you housing and you'll do your student teaching at the boarding school so there's so many different things out here and I, I think especially for people of color and especially women of color and mm-hmm. in, like just in education this is a way for us to level up and to gain some generational wealth for ourselves yes. and to like really give back to our community in a yeah. different way although we are in in a community that doesn't necessarily represent us i think there's a lot of value in us being here sure. to take back for ourselves and take back to our own communities In the next segment, we begin talking about the value of people of color in independent schools and how we are viewed as educators of color. So I've heard throughout my teaching career that working in independent schools is, well, being an educator of color in an independent school, that I'm deemed as a sellout. Sometimes I personally feel that, and sometimes... I do too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, sometimes people have said that to me specifically Mm -hmm. about, like, why are you not in a public school? Why are you not Mm -hmm. in an area um, that needs it the most? Because independent schools, you can say they've been around for a long time and a lot of them are thriving. And without us as educators of color, that they will still be able to survive. But are they actually thriving? Right. And so I feel that, um, yes, there can be an argument that we um, are needed in public schools, but I also wholeheartedly believe <laughs> that we are needed in independent schools as well. And so I don't believe that we're being a sellout, but I hear the argument. And so we want to just discuss that. Yeah. Um, my sentiments around the issue, I've heard it, I, I've heard it 
from people just like, oh, why? Like, same way, oh, why Why aren't you doing this? Or mm-hmm. why aren't you doing here? Oh, do you even make enough? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you even? And it's like, for me, it's really and truly about, like, representation. And I think yeah. even more so in the independent school sector where there's kids of color going to boarding schools and independent schools and they don't see teachers like them. Yeah. And so I think, especially in the independent school system, like... I had a decent amount of teachers of color as a public school student. Mm -hmm. Um, Teachers of color in the grand scheme of education are like 1%, I think, Mm -hmm. or 2%. It's not a huge thing. So, Mm -hmm. like, imagine that in independent schools and what that looks like. And so I really believe that there is definitely a place for us, not just for us, but, like, for the students. The students need it. Not just students of color, but students, like white students need it. They Mm -hmm. need to be able to see um, people of color and authority and be able to know and understand how to respect them and how to work with them and how to, like, navigate that world. Because a lot of people, especially in this very privileged, right, space that Mm -hmm. we teach in, a lot of them are never going to have um, a person of color and authority for them. And so they're going to go out into the real world Mm -hmm. teaching, or not even, let me back up, employing mm-hmm. people of color yeah yeah and not knowing how to right yeah. work with that and so for me being here i think sometimes it's even more important than mm-hmm. being in a public school because there's not enough of us in the independent school sector yeah how many schools have i been in between the seven schools where i was the only woman of color yeah yeah how Same. many schools have you been in yeah i think the only Almost time right Except yeah. for the school that we taught in together yes. where there was four of us. Yeah. And that within yeah. itself was such was a rare. a rare breed and I've been yeah. and I'm fortunate enough to have that in my first year of teaching because that set that gave me the energy to want to keep teaching in the independent school sector. Yeah. But that quickly slapped me in the face, mm-hmm. right? And reminded me, Oh no, honey, it's there's not, like not enough of you. Yeah. And you're gonna go through a lot of adverse disease. You're gonna have to be resilient mm-hmm. even more so, right? Yeah. Than if you're going to be um working in a public school. And yeah, like yeah. it's yeah. I have a little different experience because again I grew up in a predominantly white town, white neighborhood. And so I didn't have any options. There was one high school mm-hmm. where I grew up in Nantucket. And so, like, that was my normal, right? And so then I go to a college that was a replica, almost, of Nantucket. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> then I knew, like, I wanted to be in a more diverse setting um, into my adult life. And then, like, being at the all-girls school like I felt very comfortable and the student body was predominantly African-American and Latinos and a um, a large population also of students from Thailand Mm -hmm. and Burma I don't think we had any white students at that school at one one year one year I I think it was my first year yeah there was one student um, who was white Mm. And so, like, being in that environment, I felt very comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I cherished it, and I still cherish it today. Mm-hmm. And so then when I moved to the charter school, like, I was one of many teachers of color, actually. And so that was the first time that I felt like, okay, um, there's, I'm not the one that they're all going to, yeah. you know? And so, like, <laughs> it felt nice to, like, spread out 
the grievances that a lot self care. Yeah, you like know, I was wasn't the only one that was carrying the burden. And so that year where we were together at the private school, all girls school, like I did feel feel that energy as well. And we also lived together. And so the neat thing about the school that we're at um together is that they also like provided us housing um for a discounted price in downtown hartford and so it was a great community building opportunity because we all lived together and so like we had that and so like leaving like i didn't have that connection and so like after i was at the charter school for a year i realized like i need that sense of community within the community like you can have your um teaching core cohort right of mm-hmm. people that you teach the same subject and you're you know in the same grade level and whatever but like i needed to have like a support system and so while you had educators more educators of color in that school i didn't feel connected and why i needed to find a different school to help me feel connected was because like i i felt internally like Yes, I would be serving more kids, more students of color at the charter school, but I also felt like for my personal growth and development, like it was hard for me to stay at this school, mm-hmm. right? And then coupled with also the like discipline um, system that's there and a lot of other things, like it just wasn't for me. And so like, I don't feel like I'm being a sellout. If I give you like my experiences up to this point, well then maybe you can clearly see why I made the choices that I made. And so like, just like a general life point, like everyone makes decisions based on their experiences, right? Mm. And so like my experiences have led me to this point. And I feel like in this moment in time, in time, this is the right decision for me. And I need to be here, not just for me personally, but because of all those different experiences that I had leading me up to this, that, that they led me to this point in time mm-hmm. right and so um in independent schools you sometimes um have the sense of that the sense of not feeling valuable right that you feel um because you're one of few people of color mm. that you <laughs> tend to not feel like you're really appreciated or you're just here for affirmative action. Yeah. Like, for diversity to yeah. sprinkle some color. Yeah. And that tends to lead, have adverse effects. Yes. Yes. Emotionally sometimes. Um, I know for me, I think the only school that I was ever not the only person of color teaching or at least the only woman of color teaching is one we were teaching together. Yeah. And so going to southeastern part of Connecticut, which is very rural, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Which a lot of boarding schools Which are, to be. Yeah, yeah, a lot of boarding schools are very rural communities, right? Because yeah. they need a lot of land, right, mm-hmm. to be able to house all these buildings. But I quickly learned from being a girl, like, not from Nantucket, right? I'm from Hartford, Connecticut, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm from Concrete Jungle. I moved <laughs> around a lot of times. Yeah. I went to ton of really bad schools right I had to move out of Hartford because the schools were so bad right and so that's why I graduated from East Hartford High so like for me it's just like coming here being the only one person of color I do sometimes feel undervalued Mm -hmm. I question myself I'm like am I the am I here for affirmative action like Mm -hmm. there's this running joke in my house like babe we're here for affirmative action I'm just like I get it I know we're like the only three families in this black families in this town I get it but 
that thought of saying, okay, or that thought keeps coming up in my head is like, am I doing it really for myself or am I really doing it for representation? And for me, I didn't have that representation for myself in school. I think I had all of and my entire 12 grades, mm. right? I had all of, I was privileged enough to have three teachers of color, yeah. um, which most people in Connecticut, and um, I forget who did this study, one of the charter schools, Crick, they did mm. a study and they said 1% of, um, I mean, backing up, Crick did a study and they said um, of all of the, from kids in Connecticut, from K through 12, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> out of all the teachers, only 1% of them if that will be black. Mm. Mm. So like, yeah, they'll wow. have like one teacher of color in their whole entire, and these are pretty urban, like we're in yeah. pretty urban places, right? Yeah. When I was in a really it's urban crazy. school and there weren't a lot of teachers of color yeah. um, there. And so yeah, it's really easy to be here knowing, especially you're ostracized because you're the mm-hmm. only one, right? And so yeah. you, you'll start kind of going into your head, am I here for this or am I here for that? Am yeah. I... And part of that is, like, it doesn't matter what you're here for, like, mm-hmm. right, or why they brought you in here. You're here. Mm-hmm. Do the work that you need to do and mm-hmm. leave the impression that you want to, especially as a woman of color, right? Yeah. Yeah. Just leave the impression. If they think you're going to be the angry black woman and blah, 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 mm-hmm. smile in the face mm-hmm. and don't even let them know how angry you are, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. But those are the challenges we sometimes have. But um, here I say... At my current school, I feel valued because I val- because my students value me, and yeah. I see the yeah. value that they see in me. Yeah. And sometimes that's all I. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. that's all you need, right? Yeah. That's all you need. I mean, as an educator, we come into this because we care about the youth, and we care about the future mm-hmm. of yeah. <laughs> our, I want my kids world. to be going like right? yeah. my kids are going to be out in this world and I want them to be around good people and yeah. so part of the energy right is like yeah. you be the change you want to see in the world exactly. that's something we've always heard right and yeah. it's like sometimes you just got to do what no one else is willing to do yeah yeah and so with this being um an educator of color in independent schools we understand the sentiment of feeling that you're a sellout and that that's a real feeling at times. But also you have to keep in mind, like if you're not there, who is going to do what you can do for that school, Mm -hmm. right? These schools are still going to exist. And so I think there is a space and a need for educators of color in public schools, in charter schools, in independent schools, in every facet of education, because we bring a unique perspective. We bring um, agency or um, a sense of direction to a school that maybe was not there before. We can Mm -hmm. bring voice Mm -hmm. and perspective that is often not heard if we're not there. Mm-hmm. Right, and so we we need to be here. With that being said, <laughs> recruitment yeah. in independent schools, right? Yeah, need yeah. to get better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's real. it just needs to get better. And I, yeah. I I say this specifically, and I think this is a perfect segue because I just went to 
ASNI, which is a conference for mm-hmm. independent school um, <clears throat> that are interested in doing diversity, inclusion, and equity work. Yeah, yeah. Now, my school sent me, but they sent me as the lone person from my school, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I had some sentiments about that of not feeling valued. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're sending me. Mm-hmm. I have no power, but you're mm-hmm. sending me, right? Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> going there, I realized that was really not a space for me, Yeah. right? Um, I realized that's a space for um, dean of faculties, mm. right, to be doing the work. Dean of students, heads of schools need to be going to the, like, so if you're a head of the school, if you're a dean of faculty, do the work. If you say that your school's doing the work, do the work that you yeah. need to do to put yourself in those places to hear those lectures, yeah. right? Because a lot of those lectures are things I knew, talking yeah. about how to retain women of color. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm an expert in that, yeah, but yeah. no one, right? Yeah, yeah. We're women of color, how to retain me. I can tell you how to retain yeah, me, yeah, but yeah. I can't make you retain me, right? Yeah. So it's like that idea. And so, and I think that's, that probably is an, a sentiment that other people, especially people mm-hmm. of color in um, private schools feel. It's easy, especially because I think we have to understand and in private schools because it's so privileged. It's yeah. relatively new mm-hmm. that they're having teachers of color come yeah. in. Yeah. This is like almost a new phenomenon, right? Yes. A lot of schools just had a diversity, equity, inclusion. Yeah, my school. Exactly. Yeah. Like within the last five years, it's been a hot topic yes. thing. Yes. And a lot of people has been jumping on that. Yes. Independent schools specifically. So, yes, they're like, with that being said, you need to know that there is, they're starting to do the work and they're in infancy of doing their work. So, like, there's going to be more jobs opening up, right? But yeah. they still... There still needs to be an understanding that the work is not just in hiring that one loan, right? Yeah, it's yeah. about, like, how are you creating, what was it that we were talking about earlier? Um, identity matching, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, How are we, <laughs> yeah. like, this is such a juicy topic, right? I know, I know. How, <laughs> right, how do we... How are you recruiting, right, yeah. for your school? Are you looking at the identities of your students mm. and seeing how the identities of your students match the identities of your um, faculty and staff? Yeah. Like, that's a big deal. I feel like that's where most of the work needs to be done. Yeah. It's like matching that up. Like, every school has their different culture. Yeah. Right? Your school is a completely different culture from my school. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, so what does that look like in the schools? Who is supposed to do that work right but yeah. then we go into the um the idea of being all in in the yeah. independent schools right and the idea of if you're an administrator we, we're all supposed to be doing that work yeah, right yeah, yeah. just like oh oh did you did you have a person of color like you, oh you went to that conference or mm. you know someone hey just spend it bring me that name a lot yeah, of it yeah. i noticed too in independent schools which recruitment, I feel like, for people of color needs to get better and be more intentional because a lot yes. of it is, um, there's a lot of nepotism. Yeah, yeah. And in, in, especially in the independent schools because, mm-hmm. like, my last school was started by a family. Yeah. Half the family had the highest ranking positions. Yeah. Like, in the school. So there was no, there was never going to be a way for me to move up, right? Yeah, and so yeah, we're talking yeah. about that generational wealth gap. And yeah, then, the red tape. Yeah, that red tape that's just, <laughs> I feel like sometimes in the independent school, the red tape is a red box. Yeah. <laughs> that you just yeah, stand in the middle real. of campus, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And with that also, understanding that more so independent schools are more of a business. Oh yeah, yeah. Than charter, even <laughs> though they're nonprofits. Yeah, yeah, they're much more of a. 
definitely a business because right we worked in a unique school where it was tuition free. Yeah, that but was all the fun. other independent right? schools you have to pay. Yeah, that's absolutely right. financial aid, and so like right, you understand that you have a certain group or demographic that you target to, yeah. or you appeal to or your your general audience because you want to bring in a certain amount of capital to sustain your business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And to so, break even, right? Yeah. To pay, be able to pay your teachers, to be able to put them up, to, to mm-hmm. be able to educate them, yeah. to be able to give them the PD that they're not like, because mm-hmm. the type of PD we have here, they can travel to other countries. Yeah. Like, that's a lot of energy yeah, which is and money. Normal. Yeah, Yeah, for a lot of independent schools. So, like, yeah, I get it. I still get it. Yeah, and so while we understand the complexities that these independent schools are inherently designed to are needed to continue to function it also creates systematic oh yeah <laughs> oppression yes. for a lot of oh, people of color. yeah uh, yeah yeah we have this what do we have here um and we were just talking about mm-hmm. this at will mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. a lot of independent school is you're at will you sign a contract in the beginning of the year and if they decide to say hey you know what Chantel, mm-hmm. I don't like you living on campus. <laughs> yeah, you don't need to be DEI coordinator or director or whatever title I gave you. Um, you yeah. know what? We're going to just phase out this position. They have every right legally to do that. Yeah. And you can't say crap about it. Yeah. Right? And so, so that's hard to know. Or to, as, feel, yeah, to, or to know, feel valued. Yeah, right? to feel valued and to have real job security. Right? And so as people of color, we understand that job opportunities are very slim for us, that it's a different world. And so, like, we know that today, thinking at the greater social construct that is outside of schools, right, that we operate, we're, we don't operate in a snow globe and we are, like, unaffected <laughs> by other things that socially happen. We are very affected by it. And so, like, we understand that the larger global context is moving towards having people of color have more opportunities and have more um, job security and have all these things. And with that comes pushback, right? So we're living in this time where it's very complex. And so independent schools are also trying to figure out their footing and how they go about that, right? So there's it's very, very complicated. And I think we like we feel it and we see it we don't always get to talk about it Mm -hmm. and so that's why this platform that we have here um on our on our podcast teaching is political is to really get to the heart of some of these issues Mm -hmm. and we're so happy that you've actually stayed with us this far (laughs) and you know we can talk about this stuff all day (laughs) and we do talk about it all day and every day (laughs) and so we're happy that you've joined the conversation um so definitely if you have a message or something, you want to send us a message and maybe we can answer it next week. Um, yeah, definitely. And so moving into our final segment, right? Thanks for listening to our podcast. Until next time, just remember, teaching is political, so don't be cynical.